This is The Drive Podcast with Josh Graham. Welcome to the internet, my friend. How can I help you? Check out The Drive weekday afternoons at 3 on WSJS Sports. It is Friday, which means we're a day away from the circus coming to Durham. Getting tickets to Duke Carolina, next to impossible. There's a stat going around that the average ticket price of over $5,300, more expensive than seven of the last ten Super Bowls. So that's crazy. A third of ESPN's roster, it feels like, is going to be in and around Cameron on Saturday. And somewhere, amid the madness surrounding Coach K's last game, a basketball game's going to be played. And since this is a sports show, it feels like we might want to talk about what's going to actually happen in those 40 minutes. I like Duke to win the game. Shocker. But I don't think it's going to be as simple as the game was a month ago. I think the Devils are going to be tested. I think North Carolina might even command an early lead, might even be leading at halftime. But in the end, I trust the young guys on this Duke team, and I trust them to send Coach K out the right way. I can't imagine they'll allow Coach K to lose on his senior night because that's really what Saturday is. Tomorrow is. It's Coach K senior night. Or if you want to keep those terms with the players, Theo John, Joey Baker, Bates Jones, it's Coach K's Senior Citizen Night where you get to take a final lap. It's the game you circle. It's against your rival. It it allows you to get some closure. Here's Coach K talking about his Senior Citizen Night from yesterday's presser. To my staff this morning, I said, who would have ever thought it's my senior day? And, uh, uh, well, I... I won't be concerned about me using up all my energy in warm-ups. So, uh, uh, you know, I've tried not to think about it that much, but I know it will be emotional. Yeah, it's going to be emotional, and that could affect the game. But his assistants know the feeling of playing North Carolina on senior night. Chris Carwell's been there, 99, facing the Tar Heels, won the game by 14 points. John Shire, back in 2010, won by 32 on senior night. I don't think the freshmen that Duke has, they're going to be phased by the moment, that it's going to overwhelm them. you got to remember, absorbing the entire picture, or observing the entire picture, This team's first game of the season was at Madison Square Garden against Kentucky. And those lights weren't too bright. They only hit one three in the game, which is kind of remarkable considering they scored 78. But that moment was not too big. Later that month, they played Gonzaga in a high-level game in Las Vegas. Won it. On the road. They've been on a roll. They've won eight straight road games in the ACC. Eight. They're 9-2 and two on the road this season. And they're getting better. The two youngest guys on the team, Trevor Keels and A.J. Griffin, they were the two that closed out Virginia in Charlottesville. Scored the last 13 points of that game. So there's a maturity. And there's a toughness there that I buy. That's why I think this is a team that can go pretty far in March. And they're coming off their two most lopsided ACC wins of the year. Beat Syracuse by 25 on the road. Beat Pittsburgh on the road by 30. And now they're returning home for a game you know they've been circling for a very long time. Just like the first meeting a month ago. There is still a clear mismatch here. Either Paulo or A.J. Griffin's going to go off. I don't know which one. Probably the one that Leaky Black's not defending. Hubert joked after the game, and he's made this joke in a lot of Tar Heel losses this year, I can't cut Leakey in half and have him defend two guys. Can't do it. So 
Who am I going to have him defend? That's the big question mark. I do think there are some adjustments Hubert can make, and we'll get to those in a second, but A.J. had a career-high 27. Paolo didn't have the best game in the last time out. There's a lot more size on Duke's roster than Carolina's. That's why Duke owned a 40-24 to rebounding edge in Chapel Hill. Caleb Love and R.J. Davis combined for one for eight from three-point range. A lot of that had to do with Duke's perimeter D. I like Duke to win the game. I don't think it's going to be lopsided. I think it'll be by nine or ten points. Give me Duke 80, North Carolina 70. Your thoughts, welcome on the show. At WSJS Sports. 336-777-1600, the phone number. Robert Walsh is taking your calls today as the producer of this show. We've got intern Luis in the house as well. So, what can North Carolina do to win this basketball game? For anarchy purposes, to spoil Coach K's final home game. I do think that there are lessons you could take away from that first loss. I was in Chapel Hill for that game. I'll be at Duke Carolina tomorrow at Cameron. Excited for it. There are some lessons you could take away from that 20-point loss, starting with putting Leakey on Paolo. We talked about this a second ago, but I do think Hubert had the wrong approach to start the last game. I don't know if you remember, but Hubert put Leakey on A.J. Griffin to start, and A.J. didn't go off in the early minutes. Leakey did a nice job on him. But when you put Leakey on Griffin, that means Armando Baycott has the assignment of Paolo. And the reason that's a problem, just waiting for that sounder so I don't get Armando interrupted. The reason that's significant was because Baycott picked up two fouls in the first couple of minutes of that game. Paolo's one of the best guys in the league, is the best guy, I think, statistically, at drawing fouls. So the alternative is worse on Paolo having Baycott there versus Leakey. And Leakey did a nice job on Paolo. I think I'd like my chances of trying to lock down Paolo with Leakey and have guards, or potentially even Brady Manic, as scary as that might sound, try to run A.J. Griffin off the three-point line than you know, having Paolo get five in foul trouble. Another thing, Hubert needs to trust his older guys. If Armando Baycott picks up two early on in this game, the first 10 minutes, I think that you got to roll the dice. Is there any rhyme or reason with what you do? I, I mean, if you didn't want me to interrupt you, you could just say Baycott. I know, but you're the sol- there, there usually is a rhythm here, but doesn't seem to be. That's probably intentional. Uh if Baycott picks up two fouls in the first 10 minutes, roll the dice, keep them in. It's a talent disparity situation. You're going into a hostile environment. You can't allow, you can't have the big run and withstand that. I don't think this team can withstand that. So whether it's Leakey or Baycott picking up two in the first half, you, I, I keep them in the game. I think you need to trust your older guys not to get that third foul in the first half. So that's the second thing. Lastly, Get Caleb Love downhill. It might be easier said than done. I recognize that because Duke's perimeter D, really strong. But Caleb can't be chucking in this game the way he did last time when he was a liability against the Blue Devils. No more than five three-point attempts for Caleb. Let's not forget the last time Caleb stepped into Cameron Indoor. Of course, there were no fans. They won... North Carolina won, and Caleb had perhaps the best game of his Tar Heel career. Do not have him settling for jumpers. Get him downhill because that will open up uh, some driving kick opportunities, and Caleb's obviously a lot more efficient when he's getting to the basket rather than putting up a ton of threes. If you want to make this more tangible, I think if these three things happen, North Carolina wins the game. All three of them have to happen, though. If one of the three doesn't, then I still think it's Duke. The margin for error, pretty thin for the Tar Heels going on the road. you got to hold Paolo to below his average. That's a given. 
He's at 16.9 points a game, so we'll say less than 16 points. So 15 or fewer. Leakey and Armando Baycott need to play at least 35 minutes in the game. Armando. That means they're not in significant foul trouble. I think Baycott only played exactly 30 minutes in the last meeting. And the last thing, as I mentioned, no more than five three-point attempts for Caleb. And going back to Armando Baycott, he knows that he can't get in foul trouble. This was Baycott talking about the last time out and being pretty candid, as he usually is, about how it's affected him. Yeah, I mean, I'd be lying to y'all if I sit right here and say I didn't. I don't replay that game in my head. I mean, something I think about all the time. And, I mean, it was a lot of factors that didn't go our way. I mean, we didn't come to play just point blank and period. But, I mean, I was in foul trouble too early. And, I mean, I don't think just us as a team, players, we didn't really grasp how big of a game it was. And we just got to be ready to play on Saturday. Isn't that kind of alarming? for him to admit that the guys didn't grasp how big Duke and Carolina was? I thought the same thing, but then, like, maybe some of these guys have, it's, it's teams full of new guys, but, like, it's him saying that. Mm-hmm. He's been through these games before. Like, yeah. for you not to be able to feel, like, the level of, of competition at that game. Or why go to North Carolina if not to play Duke? <laughs> you know, not to compete against Coach K. Like, that has to be big, a big part of the sales pitch. Hey, two games a year, it's the biggest game in sports that people are following. Yeah, you might want to get up for those games. So it is kind of alarming to me that he said that. But if what he's saying is true, well, then there's a lot of ground that they didn't cover a month ago that they can cover tomorrow night. I don't think this is going to be a blowout. I really don't. I still like Duke, but I do think if those three things happen, and if Hubert learns the lessons of that last loss, I do think this is a game North Carolina can win, which doesn't really fit into the air quote narrative that's put out there. This is The Drive with Josh Graham. Give it to me straight, Chief. Here we go. Isn't anyone going to say what we all better be thinking? On WSJS Sports. We'll be giving away corn tickets in just a little bit, so stick around for that and save the phone number. 336-777-1600, we'll tell you how in just a bit. Actually, I think you know how to do that. You want to remind people, Robert, for the sound they might have to be listening for in just a little bit in order to win those corn tickets? Oh, my God, it's corn. Subtle. That's what we were shooting for there. Subtlety. In the business of being, uh, or in the interest of being accurate, Darren Gant, I said he was in Indianapolis. No longer in Indianapolis is my understanding, right, Darren? That is correct. I am back uh, here on the porch in Mayberry, back at uh, Offensive Line Central Headquarters, and happy to be back in North Carolina after a great couple days in Indianapolis. But it's always a great trip. I mean, perfect. I mean, this is beside the point, but it is the perfect city to host a combine. The NFL will inevitably screw it up and take it someplace else that will not be as convenient, will not be as hospitable, and will not be as friendly as Indianapolis always is. To hit St. Elmo's? Uh, I, you know, here's a little... St. Elmo's is good. St. Elmo's is great, but it's a little cliche. Uh, the Cognoscenti prefer Harry and Izzy's these days. It's the same restaurant owned by the same family. Uh, nicer inside, less crowded. What's been the hot so gossip? Go. What was the hot gossip in the uh, at the combine? Give me that hot goss, Darren. You, you you want that tea? You want me to spill that tea that comes yeah. from Prime see, th- 47 th- that's... at 3 in the morning? Yes. Um, see, you know, you know the deal because the combine's great. All the stuff on TV and stuff – that stuff can get thrown to the wind. For sports talk radio purposes, I, I don't want to talk about comparing pipes with one another. That's not what I'm looking at, looking for here. 
I, I want to know the hot goss, that team. Yeah. yeah, well, here's the thing. There is a small army of reporters that are willing to stay in bars till unhealthy hours of the night, not for themselves, but for you, the reader, the listener. We do it for the people. Um as much as we have talked about all the quarterback movement this offseason, I talked to no one in Indianapolis who believes we're going to see any kind of necessarily blockbuster offseason. I mean, um, the Aaron Rodgers talk is, you know, it depends on Aaron Rodgers and what he's going to do, but nobody expects big movement on guys like Rodgers, guys like Russell Wilson. And I know that might not be the hot tee, but I, I think it's probably the most accurate portrayal of what's going to go on. And, and you will see teams. I mean, Deshaun Watson, until that legal uh, situation clarifies a little bit, it's going to be so hard for somebody to make the kind of investment Houston's going to want for that. Uh, but the idea, if somebody thinks they're going to go out and trade for us, trade for Aaron Rodgers, I don't know that I necessarily see that which kind of puts the limits on some of the quarterback movement. I mean, then you're starting to talk about, well, who's the best guy available? And you start talking about Jameis Winston, people like that. Um, and, you know, the consensus, and it always kind of works out this way on the NFL, is there's never really as much movement as we thought there might be early on because so many things seek to uh, find a balance, so to speak, in the NFL. And I think that a lot of people or the consensus in those hallways uh, in Indianapolis, sure do think that Russ's going to end up back in Seattle, Aaron's going to end up back in Green Bay, and everybody's going to proceed beyond that. Darren Gant with us from Panthers.com. You won't take the credit on this, but you deserve some credit for all the reasons you outlined for multiple years lobbying to try and get Sam Mills into the Hall of Fame, and that happened since the last time we spoke. He's going to be inducted into Canton what was the highlight in that becoming a reality for you? Hey, Sam got Sam in the Hall of Fame. I just carried the mail. Um, he was, and you know what was pretty neat? What was pretty neat was today, and you will see on Panthers.com a shot of that banner hanging on front of the museum in Canton, Ohio, with Sam Mills in not a New Orleans Saints uniform, but a Carolina Panthers uniform. And that's pretty neat. Uh, those photos are chosen by the hall and approved by the family so the family kind of has a little bit of a say and yes this is what we want it to look like it was pretty neat uh to see and i got some reaction early on after the announcement because you know as being involved in that process there have been people associated or adjacent to the panthers who've ended up in the hall kevin green particularly um other guys who with some panthers tie have ended up there but sam was like the first one of theirs and you know absolutely us, so to speak to uh to get there and i think that's why it resonates with so many people is not just with what he did on the field but with the impact he made beyond as a coach as an inspiration and as somebody who continues to inspire people throughout the region to this day there's such a connection there and i think the family feels that connection too and while you know the saints are going to celebrate this thing too and they're excited and they should be because sam mills put the New Orleans Saints on the map in a lot of ways because in 19 years before he arrived, they never had a winning record and were playing about 380 percentage football or something in that area. It was three-something, had never had a winning season. Boom, Sam Mills and Jim Mora get there and put together defense with Ricky Jackson and others, and all of a sudden the Dome Patrols got them in the playoffs four times. And, you know, that happened because of Sam, and the Saints fans will celebrate that as well they should. And as I've said before, I think there's enough of Sam Mills to share. I, I think it's good for football that he's in the hall because his story is so great. And I think it is great for the Carolina Panthers that he's up there on the wall wearing their colors today. He is a Carol. He is a Carolina Panther. He could be a New Orleans Saint and a Carolina Panther. But I'm with yeah. you. It feels like the first Panther because when you think of Reggie no White, you're not thinking Panthers. You're thinking Packers right. or Eagles. And when you think of Kevin Green, as much as he had some good years in Charlotte, you think about the Rams or you think about the Steelers way back when. Sure. You're not thinking Carolina. And I guess just. Kindred spirits, you want to talk about connectivity. You know, Jaguars and Panthers arrived in the same year, and then in 96 they both made the playoffs for the first time and went to the conference championship game, and Tony Baselli is the first Jaguar to get into the hall, and it feels like Sam Mills is the first Panther to do so. 
it's yeah, pretty neat been, symmetry. It would have been kind of neat for the Panthers to have been in that game with the Jaguars, but uh, there was that local tie, and ultimately, and I, and I say this with all respect to the Hall, but the Hall of Fame, people get it confused with an NFL production, but that's very much uh, a museum run by Central Ohio business dealers, and they got one of their own coming back to coach the Raiders. Uh, Josh McDaniels played high school football in that stadium where they're going to play that game, so I, I think they kind of like having a, a local guy coming back home to Canton to coach in that game, although it would have been pretty neat to see Panthers-Jaguars run it back 28 years later. Darren Gant with us here. Paul McCartney and Winston in May, you in? Uh, I have yet to secure tickets. Unfortunately, I'm I'm still working on you that and me both. Yeah, so it uh, it would be outstanding. It uh, definitely would that. It's uh, that calendar's starting to fill up a little bit, but that one's definitely. Uh, I was talking to the boy child the other day, and we're trying to arrange some stuff and get everybody on the same schedule. And he was like, "If I've got to choose between Bob Dylan and Paul McCartney, what do I do?" And I don't know how to tell the boy. Maybe he doesn't have to choose. Maybe we'll maybe we'll hit them both. But uh, the answer is McCartney, so, though. Out of those two, it, it, it's always it's always good to have those options. And you know, the world's becoming a little more normal place. And and hopefully, we can all get back to the time where we can enjoy that stuff. There is uh, a pretty big event tomorrow at Cameron Indoor Stadium that we'll be at Duke, Spain, based in North Carolina. Tickets are a little bit more uh, than five thousand dollars a piece. I thought and, you were talking about the Charlotte FC opener tomorrow oh, night against the yeah. hated LA Galaxy. Yeah, and it, it's a, a great, great awareness by the by the team not to emphasize to the league that maybe having that game at seven thirty at the same time as the Duke Carolina game not the smartest idea. But we'll put that on the the wayside for now. Is there a show or an event you drop five thousand dollars on? Uh, it, it would probably need to be a Led Zeppelin reunion uh, for me to do that. It would probably need to be seeing Plant and Page on the same stage uh, together to get me thinking in that ballpark. Okay, that makes sense. Not corn. Yeah, that that would be the one. I, I think that would have to be. It would. Yeah. Okay. It would have That's to be Plant and Page. And I, I feel like I've seen I've seen the Jason Bonham Led Zeppelin experience, and I've seen Robert Plant solo uh, with kids actually again, and so I feel like I've seen thirty seven point five percent of Led Zeppelin. Darren Gant, you're the best man. Appreciate you spending the time, and uh, maybe one of these other times leading up to the draft, we can pretend we know what these guys are going to be based on watching them in sweats. No question. I feel cheated. I didn't even get to break down hand size and arm length today. Next time. <laughs> there he goes. Darren Gant joining us from Panthers.com. Okay. Oh, my God. It's corn. I'd pay five grand for that. You don't even have to do that. You just call right now. 336-777-1600. First person to do so next Friday in Greensboro. Corn. Yeah. Who needs who needs to drop five grand when you can just do that? I did ask that question on social media today. Five grand, sports or otherwise, what event would you drop that type of coin for? And going through some of the responses I have here, uh, someone said it East Carolina NCAA basketball game. No, you wouldn't. No, I don't care how big of a. ECU fan, you are like you. You could probably get into that basketball game for about twenty five dollars. You're not going to pay five grand for that. This is interesting. Super Bowl, World Cup final, or traveling back in time to the '86 World Series slash Live Aid at Wembley. Hmm, that's interesting. If time travel is part of the investment. Then I think five thousand might be a bargain if you think about it. Super Bowl though, see, I think my brother just dropped four grand to go to the Super Bowl last month. He's a Ram season ticket holder, so he did that. Uh, okay. Congratulations to Dave in Greensboro on winning the corn tickets. He doesn't even have to pay five grand, Robert, to go. He's just got it right in his bag. Also, 
props to to Darren because as soon as we took a break, I called that dude to ask him rapid fire questions about what he do at the combine, and he didn't he didn't wince, he didn't groan, he answered every single one of my questions. So, props what was to the that first guy. question you asked him? Uh, did Evan Neal look impressive in person, or did he look skinny fat? Great question. What was the answer? Uh, he looked impressive. Okay. Looked like a, a, a large man who was in shape, which is, is what I wanted to know. So, behind the scenes, Robert did a radio show that didn't make it on air, <laughs> and then we did an actual radio interview that didn't get to any of those topics that Robert asked. He said That's- Icky looks like the real deal, too, man. I think he won the, the podium <laughs> test yesterday. That guy looked like an absolute animal. Cut from granite. I have a pain in my ear. And what is causing it? The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. There's no way what I'm about to say is going to be used against me in the future. We've got Keep It Simple coming up in just a second. Let's go back a month. Remember when North Carolina played NC State? And they were honoring Roy, and MJ showed up, and he's sitting courtside. They won the game by 20. Remember that? After the game, I said on this show, and it didn't seem like many people had issue with it because they kind of understood. I said that I was rooting. It's weird. I had a rooting interest for North Carolina to win that game because I wanted to see Roy Williams sent out the right way. I felt badly about how things went last year. It didn't really feel right for there not to be fans at that game at Cameron or therefore to only be like 5,000 people at Roy Williams' final Duke Carolina game at the Smith Center. It didn't feel right. And the press conference, all of it was awkward and clunky. That seemed like a perfect day for Roy. So I found myself inside, if I was being honest with myself, rooting for North Carolina to win that game. And of course they did. That's kind of how I feel about Duke tomorrow. Robert, there. I said it. Hit the button. We got him. We got him. Josh just said he's rooting for Duke. Yes. Tomorrow, I think I, I want to see Duke win. I, I want to see Coach K win his final game. I know some are agents of chaos who don't root for either and want to see Coach K lose and Hey, what 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 happened? Like who Hubert Davis wins down there and well well what's Coach K gonna say after the game? What what's that going to look like? But as a fan of the ACC and of college basketball, as somebody who grew up in this state and understands what these mythic fee, fee, uh, figures mean around here, Roy Williams, Dean Smith, Coach K, you know, it just it seems like the right thing for Duke to win that basketball game tomorrow. And for Coach K to have that moment in the sun, regardless of how much you hate him, with his people, his former players, the crazies, who he's going to address after the game, and for there to be some closure in that building he's won 89% of his games in since arriving. That wouldn't feel right if Coach K lost it. So maybe rooting interest is the wrong word, but I don't think it is. I. That's what I want to see happen tomorrow. That's what I want to see because it feels like the most just thing. Maybe that's what I always root for. I want to see the right team win on a given day. I remember feeling bad when the Patriots got upset by the Giants in 2007 because I didn't think the Giants were as good as the Patriots were. And I wanted to see the better team win the most deserving team and it just feels from a basketball god's perspective you know tomorrow it feels right for duke and coach k to win that game at cameron but i'm gas bagging i'm getting really long-winded that happens it's the end of the week a lot of things have happened so robert walsh to try and make things more efficient here gonna throw some things at me and i'm gonna be a little bit more succinct and keep it simple Five words or less. They're simple, man. That's all Josh gets to tell you where your favorite teams are at. It's as marvelous and as simple as that. Let's keep it simple. All right. 
It's Friday! Rhinestone Cowboy coming up a little later on. Ryan McGee hanging out. Oh, we're feeling good on this Friday. Let's uh, let's turn up the bass in here. Turn up some of the snare in my headphones, Robert. Let's get our let's get our club on. Where are we starting, Robert? Uh, let's break away from the ACC just a little bit to talk about my favorite topic this time of the year. A little bit of the draft. Okay. So just to open up broadly, let's start with the NFL Combine. Just five words on the Combine. It doesn't really matter much. I get why you love it because you get all the prospects in the same place. But what we see doesn't matter much. Probably the better way to put it, where these guys are not in pads, not wearing helmets, you know, not being defended by anybody. You know, we're just running around. It's like a trade show. That's what it is. Oh, yeah, well, that's cool. What kind of parts do you have on it? That's kind of what it feels like uh, the combine is to me. Uh, let's move on to the Panthers at six. After the information we got this week, how do you feel about them? Five words, huh? Uh, quarterback, offensive line, or trade. That's it. Quarterback, offensive line, or trade. Don't be taking Kyle Hamilton there. Don't be taking an edge rusher there. Nope. Don't do it. If I know Kyle, you're giving me that Kyle face. Hamilton is there at six. Nope. Nope. I don't want it. Nope. You've already committed two top ten picks to defensive players the last two years, okay? Your defense is not the problem. I, I understand best player available. I completely get it. I do. But if Matt Rule is going to be done after three years, Part of the reason why he's going to be done is not drafting a quarterback in the top 10 any of the three years you've had top 10 picks. Come on. So, quarterback, offensive line, or trade? Uh, let's wrap it up. The draft talk with Willis versus Pickett. I have more than five minute or five words on this that we'll do a little later on, but to narrow it in. Pickett is knockoff Joe Burrow. It's what he is. Pickett is knockoff Joe Burrow. Swaggy, got, you know, emerged late, late bloomer type, small hands, allegedly. You know, Kenny Pickett, that's what he is. He is knockoff Joe Burrow. And back to the ACC. Uh, there's only one game in the ACC anybody cares about. <laughs> yeah. Like, State's, NC State's playing tomorrow. What are you talking yeah, about? Who gives a rip? Sorry, Syracuse Nick. is going up against Miami. That has real ramifications on the standings. Let's just start off. What does this game mean for UNC? Validation for the entire season. That's what that means. BDOT said it would be like a national championship. I don't necessarily disagree with him. Just because, other than getting a ring, what 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 do you earn? What is the currency you get from winning a national title? Well, people remember you. And if you want to do something that people remember, like be a part of a legacy, well, if you're North Carolina, you beat Coach K the last time he was in Cameron. People, this rivalry, people remember what you do in the rivalry. Like That's what makes this rivalry so awesome. There's nothing else like it in college basketball where people remember those games like, like their NCAA tournament games. So that's what it would be like for UNC. All the wrongs Hubert Davis, ha Hubert Davis has had this year, validation for the entire season. I would agree with that. Somebody brings up Austin Rivers. All I think about is that shot. That's it. Absolutely. And I can do that for a ton of players. Marvin Williams. Every time I bring it, every time I hear his name, I think about the putback he had in 2005. When people bring up Trey Jones' name, I don't know if he's doing anything with the Spurs. But it's going to be 
banking the shot off the front of the iron, then getting it back, and then our then intern Aaron re recreating the shot and me having to have Christmas lights on my car for a month in February. Yeah. People remember what you do in the rivalry. They do. Tyler Hansborough, 4-0 in Cameron. People remember those things more than what Tyler Hansborough ever did in the pros. Uh, wrap it up with what this game means for Duke. Oof. Sending Coach K off in style. That's what it means. This is last year. Your last home games against Carolina. And it's the right way to send them off. If that makes me Dukey G for, for saying, I, I kind of hope that Duke wins the last time that Coach K is out there. Then fine, I'll march in the parade. Not not to keep it hammering on you for also being a Duke homer there, but that was also six words. Sending what? Coach K off in style. Oh, But I'll pass it. I'll sending Coach K off stylistically. Yeah, that works. I'll let it work. Thank you. Yeah, dance break? Yeah, let's do that. That was only for you. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. We're playing illegal? I don't know. Now it's legal what we're doing in here. Yeah. The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. So our coverage for Duke Carolina tomorrow going to start with it being a 6 o'clock tip. I think it's going to start around 2.30 tomorrow. 2.30 tomorrow, we're going to have Kay and the Crazies, the recent episode that Darren Vaught has worked on that will air. Then a two-hour Coach K tribute that's with the Duke Radio Network and an hour conventional lead-up up to the 6 o'clock tip. It's going to be crazy. We're going to be there. And speaking of craziness, Ryan McGee has a story up at ESPN.com talking about spending 32 days in Krzyzewskiville, camping out to go to this final home game for Coach K. What's the craziest thing you learned about Kville, Ryan? Um, that I think you probably have to have a Duke degree to even understand how it ever works. Um, you know, it's the most complicated. Like I was talking, I was on the phone yesterday with the, one of the, one of the main sources of information is a senior, and you know, guy's an econ major and political science double major from Philly and all that stuff, and, and it took him. It took him a solid 20 minutes to explain to me how the whole thing works. And I was even out there, and I don't get it. So he told me, he said, yeah, he goes, it's kind of the most Duke thing ever, right, that we have to take a test to go to a basketball game? I'm like, yeah. And say, so, But just the whole thing, I mean, it's literally like a 15-page document that explains the rules of how to get a spot in Krzyzewskiville, 70 tents, 12-person uh, teams, um, six people have to be in the tent at night. Two people have to be in the tent during the day. Random checks all the time. And and then there's like additional tests and bonus points. And you had to take a test to even get a spot on the lawn. It's like it's – but, yeah, but at least they're self-aware. All the Duke students I talked to were like, yeah, we realize this is probably playing into the stereotype. I'm like, yes, it totally is. I am McGee, also from Marty and McGee that you can listen to right here on WSJS Sports tomorrow as well. So it's going to be a big day tomorrow. In fact, I think the last time I saw you, McGee, at a basketball game was at Duke Carolina a few years ago. So I just assume you're going to be there. No. Well, sorry. So as you know, as everyone should know, Wright Thompson was, was in Durham for a couple of weeks wrote a phenomenal story on ESPN.com, a profile of, of Krzyzewski, which is just as great as you always expect out of Wright. Well, Wright couldn't go to the game, and he's like, hey, man, I have a credential to the game. Do you want to go? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And um, and then I realized um, I had something 
written them down wrong down on my calendar. So my daughter is a, is a high school junior, and you have a 17 year old daughter. You know they never ask you to do anything. Like they don't ever want you to go to anything. And months ago, she asked me if I would chaperone like the big high school dance, and she's like, "It's on the fifth. I'm like, "Great." And I thought she said the fourth. So I I thought I was chaperoning a dance on Friday night. Could go to the game on Saturday. Nope. So tomorrow during the game, if you need me, I'll be. Uh, I'll be walking around with a yardstick, slapping high schoolers on the shoulder, going, leave room for Jesus. So to be clear, you had a courtside seat to a game that people are paying more than $6,000 to go to, and then you figured out, nope, I got to go to a high school dance instead? Uh, Well, again, anybody with a 17-year-old daughter knows um, they never ask you to do anything, and she asked me to do this, and my wife's out of town, so I'm the guy. And uh, anyway, yeah, so I'll be there. But, but, but I'll say this, though, and I mean this with the greatest respect. Um, yeah, I have managed to avoid the virus for two years, all the way up till you know, it started, it was two years ago next week. Yeah. I've managed to not contract this thing, despite all my travel and, you know, going into places like, you know, that I love, but but SEC schools or towns that don't ever think the virus was real. And so I managed to avoid this thing altogether. And I love, love, love sitting on press row at Cameron Indoor. But um, but I also learned that most of those kids in Shosheskyville popped a positive COVID test for <laughs> 32 <laughs> days. And I don't know if I need them, you know, sweating on me. But anyway, we'll see. But, but it'll, it, it's fine. It's good. It's great. Uh, the people who were there, it's amazing. And uh, y'all will have a great time, and uh, I'll be watching on um, on ESPN Plus, uh, standing over in the corner while they're playing, you know, whatever kids dance to now. McGee, I remember last year you were telling us a story about how in Alabama, the way they worship Bear Bryant, there's just portraits of Bear Bryant's in old ladies' homes, the same way that there are probably portraits of Dean Smith across yep. the state of North Carolina in old ladies' homes. If thinking about Mike Krzyzewski's legacy in the context of just our state's borders, the state of North Carolina, if Mike Krzyzewski can't be Dean Smith, how will he be remembered in this state, you think? Oh, I think, I think he'll be remembered as the villain. Um, and and there's, there's the group that loves him and is devoted to him, but Duke has always had this odd place, as you know, in the hearts of North Carolinians. Now, if you were a Methodist, like my gra- my, my my grandfather, Marshall Cadell, he has a great quote in the in, in our book that I wrote with my dad a couple years ago. Where we're taking the Clemson game playing Duke, and we're sitting in a skybox, and Papa was like, "Well, Clemson's taking care of us. I'm going to root for Clemson. They're playing Duke." And by half through the game, I realized, no, he's pulling he's, he's pulling for Duke because he was a Methodist, and he said it's a sad frog that can't pull for his own pond. And so I think that Duke has always had this weird. Role, you know, when I lived around, I've lived in other places around the country, and I'm from North Carolina, and people are like, "Well, do you like Duke or North Carolina?" And they don't understand. It, it's not that way. There are a lot of schools, you know. I grew up a state guy, and so I, I think because of all that, um, it's an interesting position. So I think to most people, he's the villain. But I think that I saw this at the end of the careers of race car drivers that were the bad guys their whole career. Jeff Gordon, everybody hated Jeff Gordon, ruined the sport and all that stuff. And his last race, you know, people who hated him were wearing Jeff Gordon gear. So I think you're, you're going to see a lot of that tomorrow, which I think we're going to see a lot of, you know, certainly if not, if, I wouldn't call it an outpouring of, of love, but I certainly would call it an outpouring of appreciation for what Mike Krzyzewski's done for college basketball. He, if he, he, I don't believe he's the greatest coach of all time, but he's on the Mount Rushmore. Ryan McGee with us here from ESPN. Go read his story, 32 days at Krzyzewskiville camping with the crazies ahead of Coach K's home finale. I hope Robert doesn't take offense to this because I mean it uh, genuinely, uh, and I mean it as a compliment. The draft guru and the combine guru follows things very, very closely, and they watch things a different way than college football guys. Robert... That that that's fair, right? I'm a college football guy. You are what I would describe to be a draft guru. Yes. Uh sure. We watch it a little differently, perhaps. Yeah, we do. So there's a difference between how draft guy might think about certain players 
and college football guy who goes to a bunch of games like Ryan and I do. So there might be a bit of a gap, and we've talked about this before, Ryan. Is there a guy you watched in college that you're surprised with the way they're being covered during the draft process? I mean, there's always those guys. I call I call it the Russell Wilson rule. Um, I remember we used to have a show on ESPNU called The Experts, and there would be eight of us on the set. And it would be all of these guys who had played in the NFL, and seven of them, and then the one writer nerd, me down on the end of the – everybody else had played in the league, you know, first-round draft picks and All-Americans and all-conference guys and college football Hall of Famers also. They all play Super Bowl rings, the whole thing. And I remember we were doing like a pre-draft show, and they're all talking about this guy and that guy and this guy. I said, I can't believe no one's talking about Russell Wilson. Ah, he's too small and so on, so on, so on. And I finally go, hey, did you guys watch any film? Like, if you watch, if you watch any actual games. And that's how I feel every year when we get to the NFL draft. You know, this year it's this down quarterback year. And I get it. It's certainly not what it has been in years past. But there is that point, though, where I'm just saying, if y'all, if y'all watch any of the games, and my favorite is when they're surprised. Like, gosh – you know, this guy's really good. I'm like, yes, he's been really good for three years at Alabama or at Auburn or, you know, at East Carolina. I mean, it's that that, that part of the thing uh, always drives me a little bit crazy. I and mean, we saw it, you know, when, when the quarterback started working out um, at the uh, at the combine. And, and you know, it's, it's uh, you know, Kenny Pickett's really good. And and you know, but before his workout, you heard he was good, but I didn't hear a lot about him being a top six, top seven pick. And now that's suddenly what you're hearing because of his workout. And I just want to go, yeah. And it's, there's, we've got several years of film on that guy. He's always been good. On Twitter at ESPN McGee, if there's no Major League Baseball, here's my message to everybody. You know yeah. who you can go watch? The Dash. You can go. Yeah. Ro- you can go watch the Rockers. The Grasshoppers, the Sock Puppets. Ryan McGee loves minor league baseball more than anybody I know. Charlotte Knight, season ticket holder. And you tell us all these great stories that's one day going to become a book, I think. What story do you have for us this week? I'm, I'm, spoiler alert, I'm actually, I'm actually working on a book right now. Whoa! We, we haven't announced it, but yeah, there's, I'm working on it right now. Whoa! Uh, Enough yeah. people died? Yep, yep. And it's, uh, it's so I, it's a it's a sad but funny story. So I always use that joke. Right? I used to say all the time, I need a few key people to die before I can write a book about my summer of working for the Asheville Tourists. And Ron McKee, who was the general manager owner of their team for decades, he passed away last fall. Oh my and God. everyone's joke is, oh, okay, we see how it is now. We know who you were talking about. I'm like, no, that's not who I was, <laughs> I was talking about. But yeah, it's um yeah, working on it now. Actually, I was just. I was just uh, trying to recall the story of uh, James the Mountain Man who used to climb around behind the fence and retrieve foul balls and um, and how the, it, was, it was this cat and mouse game. Don't forget Julio the ball car, the ballpark and, cat. Julio, Julio the ball, the Julio the cat. Yeah, Julio the cat. God rest his soul. Um, yeah. It, so those are all the, all the stories I've told you over the years. I'm trying to recall them now. But yeah. So talking about talking about the baseball. So the, the deal was. I didn't realize this until I worked in my early baseball, how expensive baseballs are. Like a box of a dozen Rawlings game approved, like baseballs, like $150. And so that's why you kind of had this desperation to recycle baseballs. So we would, we had this hillbilly named James the Mountain Man who would go up into the, to the kudzu and all behind the right field fence during batting practice and retrieve balls. And we'd pay him like 50 cents or a quarter per baseball, depending on the condition of it. And Jack LeMabe was our pitching coach. And LeMabe pitched for the Cardinals in the legendary 1967 World Series and, uh, you know, was friends with Bob Gibson and Roberto Clemente and, and, and all these guys, Carl Yastrzemski, all these teams he played on. And LeMabe told me a story one time about the baseballs, and he was pitching for the Lincoln, Nebraska Chiefs in like the late 1950s. And he said about halfway through the game, the, the tips of his fingers started tingling. And he looked down and realized they were turning white. And he thought maybe he was having a heart attack. And then uh, later on, he realized that the owner of the team every night would would dump all these baseballs into a bucket of bleach 
so that they would look new and white for the game the next day. <laughs> oh, okay. And so, so Jack LeMay was actually like damaging nerves at the tips of his fingers because baseballs are expensive. And so that's, that's how that works. That's, I did not know that. That's amazing. Are we going to appear in the foreword of this book? Is there gonna, yeah. Are we going to be in this book somewhere? You should. I mean, it's, it's, um, I've been, you, me, me having to recall stories every time I do an interview with you has, uh, has jogged my memory on a lot of this stuff. So, yeah, maybe at the very least, uh, I'll drive a copy of it up there. All about that. Uh, Ryan McGee, read his story, ESPN.com on Kville. Pick up one of his books, Sidelines and Bloodlines, we told you all about. And apparently, we'll have a new book to talk about sometime in the future. McGee, enjoy the dance tomorrow. Enjoy what they're yeah. dancing to over there. It's the big dance before the big dance. So uh, you kids down here at Providence High School, uh, you know, keep keep those shoulders apart and the hips apart because uh, I'll come after you with that yardstick. That's great. Can you picture that? Did that happen at your school dances, Robert? Hey, we got the yardstick here. Make sure, make sure you guys are separated from each other. No, nah, they kind of let us bump and grind as much as we wanted to. Lucky you guys. Not so much the case where where I went to high school just outside of Raleigh. Fantastic stuff. And how cool is that? That our show, Badgering McGee for years, is going to result in the actual you know, writing of a book. It's going to happen. Like We, we, we kind of joked about it at the beginning, and now, now it's going to happen for real. McGee's going to write a book what's even about cooler all these than, stories. What's even cooler than that is you throwing me under the bus for not watching any games, apparently. Oh. Apparently, you're just going to throw... Uh, he just watches the Combine. You no. know, He doesn't really like the no, that No, much. no, no. I, I also said watch tape. Like, not watch the games live, but watch tape. I'm not saying one's better than the other. I'm just saying there is a gap between the way that some look at how guys are going to transition to the NFL and project versus people that are more interested in what they were in college and think, oh, if you're great in college, then duh, this is a guy who's probably going to be good in the pros. I'm not saying one's better than the other. That's why I hope you didn't take any offense to that. We got take it to the house to do. Also, it's a Rhinestone Cowboy Friday. All that on the way.